You're listening to A Conduit's Diary. This is a podcast about me, Rachel, and my experiences as I investigate paranormal activity as a conduit. This is rated R for explicit because I do have a little bit of a foul mouth. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you listen to it. Normally, I don't really include trigger warnings because the nature of the podcast, you know, most people kind of know that you're going to hear a little bit about death. But I do want to preface this and say that this one does have some mention of kidnapping. Nothing explicit, but I did want to let people know before they took a listen. So, without further ado, here's episode 32, A Nice Day for a Hike. And first of all, thank you to everyone who wished me a great vacation. It's the first one I've taken in forever and was much, much needed. I'm well rested and unfortunately, fortunately, back into the mire of my side biz. You know, the one where I help rich people with their ghost problems. I know I've strayed from it a bit because of other things that have been going on, like working with Harry. He doesn't call as much as I thought he would. Apparently using a paranormal medium or whatever they consider me to help solve crimes isn't as popular as I thought. Honestly, Cop dramas have only succeeded in rotting my brain and thinking law enforcement is filled with hot dudes. It's not. I'd been home barely two days when Hema reached out to me for some girl time. That's what she called it, but I wasn't dumb. I've known Hema for over a decade and I could tell by her flighty phone call that she had ulterior motives for reaching out to me. She promised to feed me after our girl outing, so I ultimately agreed. She did not tell me that part of our girl time involved hiking. I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Being in a redhead in Arizona is cruel and unusual. It may be April, but it's already touched into the 90s. Hemant tried to offset this by picking me up at 6.15 a.m. from my townhome and promised to drive. What she doesn't realize is that the sun does not care if it's 7 a.m. and 70 degrees or 2 p.m., and 90 degrees. I will still burn. She's one of those freaks of nature that can sit out in the sun for hours and just get a little tan. Equipped with a large brim hat and 90 SPF, I let her drive me across the entire city to White Tank. White Tank is a natural preserve on the opposite side of town, which takes approximately an hour to get to, even without traffic. We were one of the only people in the small parking lot as we tracked through the gate that looked like we were trespassing. Don't worry, she told me with a wide smile. There's no hills here. It's all flat. And there's even some shade. She was positively buzzing this morning. Hema lives by the credo that humans are large houseplants. If you're upset, you either need water, food, or sunlight. Anytime any of us is sad, she'll drag us into the sun ply us with food, and make sure we're drinking water. Even now, she sported a backpack with one of those long straws that lets you suck down water without taking off your bag. She looked rather sporty with an old U of A baseball hat, shorts, and a tank top. I covered as much of my skin with cloth as I could without overheating. Isn't it beautiful? She cooed as we walked alongside a man-made lake. Lovely, I said, swatting away a swarm of mosquitoes that appeared to be attracted by my super white skin. She took in a deep breath. 
I always find that nature brings me right back to where I need to be. How have you been? Was your trip relaxing? I watched her carefully, eyes partially narrowed. What? She asked innocently. Do you have some other poor soul that needs my help? I asked. She threw her hands up in the air. Really, Rachel, you're so ridiculous sometimes. No, I don't have anyone that needs your well-qualified help. Huh, I said, truly believing she was upset by my question. We walked a few more feet in silence. This part of the part started to darken a bit, with the shade of the plants along the man-made waterways. A rustle in the leaves caught my attention, and I couldn't shake the sudden feeling like we were being watched. A bit creepy, I said to break the silence. What is? asked Hema. I shrugged. Paranoia, probably. I wasn't as relaxed in nature as Hema was. Things like the potential to run into rattlesnakes, bobcats, javelinas, mosquitoes, and the sun kept me eternally on edge. Hema was one of those, they're more afraid of you than you are of them people. It was maddening. Listen, Rachel, I just wanted to see how you're doing, she started, but the rustling happened again, and I squinted into the dark of the leaves to see what it was. If it was a bobcat, I was out. I'd run my out-of-shape ass right back to the car. Or, are you supposed to play dead? Shit, I should have googled it on the way here. Are you listening? She asked. Shh, I think there's something in the brush. Of course there's something in the brush. It's a nature reserve. Don't try and change the subject. I've been meaning to talk to you about what happened when I went to your mom's. The rustling continued, a little further down the trail this time. I halted, unsure if I wanted to go toward it or away from it. It was clearly just ahead of us. If we slowed down, would it continue forward? Should we pass it or would this predator in the brush then stalk us and sneak up on us? Do you think we should try and outrun this? I asked, voicing my internal monologue. Outrun it? asked Hema, thoroughly perplexed. You, of all people, should know that death is a loaded subject, she said. I sighed and turned to her. Look, my mom has been sick for a while. It's part of why we reconnected. I know it's only a matter of time. Yeah, but you know how it works, she interrupted, grabbing my arm. When I do whatever it is I do, the death is imminent. I don't know how she's still alive now. They usually pass pretty quickly after. I sighed again. Yeah, I know. And I don't know, maybe she's different because she's a conduit? Have you ever asked her about what that means? Like, where it comes from? What started it? I chewed my lip and thought back to the various warnings I'd heard over the years. Spirits, demons, all claiming to know who I was just because of what I could do. I'd brought up the mention of a deal to my mother some years ago after that awful demon that trapped Anthony mentioned it, but she shook me off. Don't trust those things. They'll lie about the color of the sky to get what they want. My mother was a steel trap about anything related to our identity or origin. You know how she is, I offered. Look, I appreciate the concern, but she's an adult. A shitty one, but an adult nonetheless. She's not going to tell me anything she doesn't want to. And she's going to die whenever she wants to, banshee scream or not. Emma offered a faint smile and looked around quickly to ensure we were alone. Oh, stop. No one's listening. And if they were, what would they even say? It's a turn of phrase anyway. She frowned and turned back to the trail. 
We went a full 15 minutes before the rustling resumed, but this time I saw something. Light brown skin, dark raven hair. It was no bobcat or predator. It was a fucking kid playing in the underbrush. What kind of parents just let their kids roam around? I asked Hema, waving to the brush. Hmm? She asked. She'd been deep in thought the last few minutes. It was no wonder she didn't hear or see anything. A kid? Oh, well, there's farms over there, she said, pointing to the various homes that skirted the edge of the reserve. They probably play here all the time. I'm sure they know it better than any of the birders. She pointed up the trail to an old person with a camera the size of a rocket launcher. I tried to ignore the child as we looped around the water, but it was becoming more bold. I could see more and more of her as she peered from from the bushes. I finally stopped and turned to the brush, tramping through it to stop in front of her. She looked up at me with wide eyes. Hey, kiddo, stop following us. It's kind of creepy, I told her. I'd never been great with kids, and this one was old enough to know better. At least, I think she was. Up close, she looked way older, maybe in her late teens, early 20s. She was just so thin, she looked like a kid. Rachel, called Hema as she stamped through the brush after me. You're supposed to stay on the trail. Besides, who are you talking to? She was squinting into the brush at the person as though she couldn't see her. Oh, fuck. She came to the realization about what was going on at the same time as me, her eyebrows raising. Is there a fucking ghost in the bush? She asked. She seemed genuinely excited by the prospect, rocking on her toes. It would appear so, I said with a sigh, eyeing up the girl. She was frowning up at me from her crouched position. She stood then and looked me over. You can see me, she said. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. I nodded. I can. I've been watching you follow us for like 30 minutes. I took a minute to look her over. Sometimes the ghosts I found in strange places like this were very old. I once ran into a pioneer woman in a Forever 21 dressing room at the mall, and it nearly scared me shitless. This girl was wearing clothes I'd consider modern. A simple white t-shirt, baggy jeans, pink sparkly converse. She pushed a lock of dark hair behind her ears as she regarded me. Can you always see me? she asked. I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I see... I trailed off. What if she didn't know she was dead? What if I told her I saw ghosts and she freaked out? Shit. Hema was staring at the area I was talking to with morbid fascination. You see ghosts? She said, finishing my sentence. Yeah, I do. You're not my first. She nodded at this. So you can see the others, she said to herself. The others, I asked. Hema let out a breath next to me. The others? What is going on? Come on, be a translator here. She was still rocking back and forth on her heels. Can she not see me? Asked the girl. I shook my head. No, my friend here can just predict if someone's going to die, but she can't see you. Hema shot me a death glare. The girl appraised me further. Weird, she said. I nodded in agreement. Very weird. No, both of you are weird. But you can see me, so you'll do. She turned then to trek into the brush. Come on, I told Hema, nodding to the undergrowth as I followed the girl. What about the trail? Leave no trace? She asked. I rolled my eyes. Listen, I know this is new to you, but it's not to me. A teenager in a big reserve, dead. I have a feeling we'll be contacting Harry here shortly. Hema paused in her trek after me. 
Are you saying, she started. I shook my head. I'm not saying anything, I'm just warning you. If you want to wait on the trail, go ahead. Call him and show him where we are. Nah, I'm not letting you go by yourself. Plus, my signal is just fine. I can call from the brush. She didn't sound happy as we resumed moving through the underbrush. It took about five minutes of walking and batting away big stalks of whatever the hell plants we were up against until we reached a small clearing. The girl was standing here with her hands on her hips. Come on, you can come out, she called. I watched in horror as five more girls appeared from the brush. Some came from behind us, other from the edges of the lake. I noticed then that we were on the far shore of one of the bodies of water, concealed by thick plants that bordered it. What's going on? Hema whispered. There's more of them, I whispered back. Each girl looked similar in age and appearance to the first one, dark black or brown hair, light brown skin, appraising eyes, all easily in their early 20s with the same frail, thin frame. Two of the girls clung to each other, their hands clasped as they hung back. Call Harry, I told Hema. But, she started. I waved her away. It's fine. Just go back to the trail and call Harry. Drop a needle or whatever so he can find us. It's a pin, she said with an eye roll. Okay, cool. Drop it then. Tell him to come right away. Hema chewed her lip and regarded the clearing with hesitation. If something happened, there's no way she'd be able to hear me from the trail. I'll be fine, I reiterated. She finally retreated through the brush, and I turned to the group of girls. All right, uh, I'm Rachel. What's your names? The first girl spoke up. April, she said. Hey, April, I'm Rachel. You already said that, she said. I frowned. Yeah, well, I'm not really good with kids. I'm not a kid, she shot back. Sure, sure. Um, how long have you been here, I asked. She shrugged. I don't know, but I'm sick of it and I want to go home. I nodded. Okay, I know a man who can help you. No men, she said quickly. The girls around her took a step back and away from me. Okay, how about me then? What if you tell me what I can do to help? The girls all exchanged wordless glances, loaded with meaning I couldn't even begin to decipher. You're the only one who can see us. I guess we don't have a choice. Well, that was uplifting. How did you get here? I asked. We were brought here, April told me. By who? I asked. They exchanged looks again. He comes back here from time to time to watch and look. She nodded her head a little further down the clearing to the edge of the water. I knew better than to look for multiple reasons. Crying seam contamination being the most noble of them absolute fear being the least. And he brought all of you here, I asked. April nodded. There's more, but they don't stick around, she said. A lot more, I asked. April didn't answer. Look, I want to help you. You'll have to tell me more. Where are you from? How old are you? I can find your parents if I know that much. Harry once told me there is a database of missing kids, including pictures of how they look as they aged. Surely these kids would be in that database, right? April sighed and sat down on the ground. He took me from outside work. I was walking home, and he told me he lost his dog and wanted help finding it. I tried to help him find his dog when he grabbed me and threw me into the car. Then, I was here. She said it matter-of-factly. I shivered. He did something like that to me, too, said one of the girls from along the shoreline. She was the shortest of the group with freckles along the bridge of her nose. 
She was wearing a waitress outfit that had smudges of what I hoped was food along the apron. I was leaving work when he asked for a cigarette. I told him I didn't smoke. He told me he liked that in a girl. He was way older than me and it creeped me out. I tried to go back inside to have someone walk me to my car, but the staff door was locked. He grabbed me before I could make it to my car. Then you were here, I asked. She shook her head. No, not right away, but yes, eventually I was here. Her eyes strayed to the shoreline April had pointed out before. A noise from the brush caused me to turn around and see Hema, her eyes wide. I got a hold of him. He's on his way, she said. I said no men, April said. She stood suddenly, her voice steady as she glared at me. I raised my hands to try and placate her. Hey, I understand. Harry's a detective of sorts. This is what he does for a living. He solves crimes. He's a cop? Asked one of the girls from the back, hopefully. I shook my head. No, he's not a cop. He's a private investigator. People hire him to solve unsolved crimes. And how do you know him? April asked. Her arms were crossed over her chest, and it was clear she still didn't trust me or believe me. I use my skill, I said, motioning to the girls in the clearing, to help if I can. Have you helped before? asked April. Her futures weren't as hard. Maybe I was making headway. I nodded. Yes, I've helped before. A few times, actually. He used to work with my mother, too. She's helped a lot more than me. April accepted this answer and sat down on the ground again. I guess we'll wait here. Harry thought it was best to be low-key about the extraction of the bodies. Apparently, something April said about the guy coming back to visit made him want to set a trap. Harry didn't arrive at alone. He had an entire crime scene service with him. Just like that, he believed my best friend's erratic phone call and showed up with the whole team. They didn't so much as acknowledge me as they processed the scene. I stood in the clearing near April and the other girls as they watched with somber eyes as the bodies of 15 young women between the ages of 17 and 23 were removed from the site. It's clear that he comes here from time to time, Harry told me. He was standing next to me as he watched, chewing a piece of gum incessantly. That's what they said, I told him. He eyed the clearing much like a spooked horse would. Are they here now? He asked. They are, I affirmed. But not all of them. Some of them had disappeared. All that remained were the two girls holding hands in April. I have to make sure they get us all, she told me. I could see why they'd appointed her the leader of the group. I was the first, she told me. Her attention snapped on the last body, the one with the most decay. She watched with tears in her eyes as they carried her through the brush to the waiting coroner's van. I was alone for a long time when the others came. Each time it was sooner than the last. I reached out to touch her wrist, feeling the cool wisps of nothing between my fingers. She offered a light smile before she nodded to me. Tell Harry thank you from us, she said, before taking a few steps back into the brush. Harry was right. The trail was closed for 24 hours due to a possible algae bloom, which had local conservatives up in arms as that didn't really happen this time of year or something. After 24 hours, the trail reopened with a new security detail that hid in the bushes. It took less than a day for the man to return. He'd heard on the news that the area was closed and he came as soon as he could to check on the bodies. He was arrested and they found so much evidence in his house and van that Harry said he's not going to see the light of day ever again. 
He was sitting across from Hema and I at snooze, chewing his pancakes loudly. Hema and I didn't have much of an appetite. It was one thing entirely to deal with ghosts and hauntings who died in passion or anger. It was an entirely other thing to stumble upon mass grave sites to a sick serial killer. I stared down at my oatmeal and strawberries like it was made of spiders. Hema looked similarly green, her normal bright face sallow. Anyway, the fucker's done for, he said in between big bites. All because of you two, he added, pointing a fork at the two of us. Hema offered a small smile. Thanks, Harry. That means a lot, she said. Wow, that's really nice. Why are you friends with her again, he asked Hema, moving his fork back to point at me. Ha ha, I said harshly, pushing a spoon into the oatmeal. Maybe I could stomach a bite or two. Look, this job is hard, Harry said as he swallowed the last piece of his pancake. You just have to remember that there's good in the world. Those parents get peace of mind knowing their kids have been found. A sick fuck is in jail. I'm buying you overpriced pancakes. If you focus on the bad, that's how you get stuck, and then you're no help to anyone. Wow, Harry, that's actually really insightful, I said. He nodded, picking up a piece of bacon from his teeth with his fingers. Yeah, well, if it doesn't help, there's always whiskey, right? A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro created by Chris Hornberger.